For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Sportfire, the sports comedy podcast that's going to have to do it all by ourselves, we guess, Joe Harris. I'm your host, Adam Weiner. And reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Steve Nash's Zen Meditation app, which has mostly been screaming this week. Really big, deep, interesting show. But first, a truly quick trip through the headlines. We'll start with an update on America's favorite mismatch, the better for backslide. No, of course, it's Bucks Nets, which turned on a dime provider's ankle this weekend. Kyrie Irving will miss significant time with an ankle sprain suffered in Game 4 when he stepped sideways on a Magic 8 ball he'd left on the court. Will he be back before next year? Reply Hazy, try again. X-rays on Irving's ankle were negative, presenting absolutely no vibes. You had to feel great for Bucks fans, though, who never gave up on this team after Game 2. And you've also got to feel great for Nets fans, who became Bucks fans midway through Game 4. Of course, Game 5 of this series was an all-timer, with Kevin Durant playing all 48 minutes to lead the Nets to a 114-108 comeback victory. After the game, Durant said he'd do it again, then clarified by it, he meant breathe again someday. This was a devastating turn for Milwaukee. Hey, what's the name of the guy who needs to draw up some schemes to turn this series back around? Coach Bud? Is that what a touchy-feely middle school gym teacher begs you to call him? Is that an anthropomorphized joint at a legal weed store in Seekonk, Massachusetts? Is that a toilet training tutorial for a toddler who thinks they're a dog? Regardless, not feeling great about that. It's really quite elementary, though. Shaq couldn't shoot free throws, but at least he could get the ball to Kobe in the clutch. Giannis can't shoot free throws, and he can only get the ball to Jeff Green. I'm going to make one guarantee about Game 6 in Milwaukee, though. Aaron Rodgers will not be there chugging beers with his linemen this time. Rodgers, of course, showed up at his press availability before the match with Tom Brady, Bryson DeChambeau, and Phil Mickelson wearing an I'm Offended t-shirt. Brady, on the other hand, wore a shirt that said, I was just as big a baby my whole career, but Robert Kraft always squashed the story. Where can I get one of those? Everywhere in Boston? Cool. The Phoenix Suns continue to capture America's heart by sweeping MVP Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets this week. Jokic was ejected midway through Game 4 per his own request. It's been redemption week for both Chris Paul and Monty Williams, who, and I might not have my story straight here, caused Hurricane Katrina? Way off. Got it. Paul and Williams are linked from their New Orleans Hornets days back when Williams was the league's youngest head coach and Paul was the league's youngest 45-year-old man. Seriously, though, Paul's resurgence has been an awesome comeback story, mainly because it didn't happen in Houston, and surely at no point between recording this and publication of the episode will he test positive for COVID. Hey, no one tell me if he did or not. No one tell me if he did or not. LeBron James has officially changed his jersey number to six, hearkening back to his innocent days in Miami when he would have insisted on putting Jim Gray in Space Jam 2. Six is also coincidentally the number of rings won by, you guessed it, Yankees legend Spud Chandler. 
huge show today as I swallow my pride and get roasted directly to my face by Zach Hample, the world-famous MLB ball hawk. I wrote some less than flattering things about Zach in a column. He read them, which I didn't think was legal, and reached out to me. And so we caught up and I learned a lot. I hope you enjoy I am here with perhaps baseball's most famous fan, Zach Hample. You know him from snagging baseballs in the stands at essentially every Major League Baseball game. And the reason Zach is on my podcast today is uh, definitely an interesting one and certainly something I have not encountered in a while. I wrote something about Zach that was definitely um, a bit over the line and spoke to the fact that I was much more unfamiliar with his body of work than I probably should have been. Zach found it, read it, and certainly has more than one bone to pick with me. Um, so Zach, thank you. Before we get too far into this, uh, I have some questions. I hope we're about to have a lot of fun. But before we dive deeper, um, thanks for being on the show. And you have a, a couple of arguments to, I, I have allowed you to take me on. So, so please uh, make me look like a fool. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. We will definitely have some fun with this. Um, yeah, you know, I, I have a Google news alert set for myself, but sometimes I don't even read the alerts because either I'm busy or they tend to be negative, quite frankly. Um, what I do in the baseball world is met with overwhelming positivity in person, but things online can get pretty dicey. And you know, you wrote an article about me back in April, and I only actually just saw it in the last week or so. And I believe you referred to me as a home run stealer or home run ball stealer and mentioned how I wiped out or ate concrete or however you said it. It was about my mishap in Philly, which was certainly the most embarrassing moment of my baseball career, I guess, if we can use the word career, since we I can, we can, I do work full time in baseball. This is how I make a living going to games and making YouTube videos. But um, yeah, there was a whole lot of negative coverage after that. I, I probably had to block about two or 300 people on Twitter just in the few days after, because people were being so crappy to me, threatening me and insulting me with just the most vile language. Um, and you know, your article was part of that. And I saw it recently. And at first I was like, screw this guy, I'm gonna block him and he's part of the problem. And, and then I thought, what if I just kind of reached out and was like, hey man, what's the deal? And so, yeah, I, I sent you a DM on Insta. I, I think I wrote a very nice message, not coming at you with uh, you know, torches or anything like that. And I was very surprised to get a nice reply back from you. You know, I, I kind of had it worked up in my mind that anyone who'd write something negative about me must really hate me. And if anyone hates me, they're clearly an idiot because I'm totally likable. So you, you've kind of messed up the narrative in my brain as far as, you know, how, how can someone who wrote something mean actually be a nice, friendly, articulate human person? So I was just almost curious, like a case study in psychology to talk to you directly and just try to unpack it. And, you know, where did that all come from and clear things up for you? And if I've done bad things and you're pissed off, let me know. I can certainly own up to things. I admit that I've said and done a lot of stupid things 
over the years, which have gotten me in hot water. But, you know, I do tend to think that uh, I, I get more of a negative reaction sometimes than I deserve. So that's just kind of how this came to be. So, you know, I'm happy to answer any questions you have. I can, I can take the heat. I can face the music. So <laughs> let's go for it, man. You are right that I was part of the problem there. And I think, you know, you saying that you were surprised I was articulate and willing to have this conversation was sort of the like the most jarring factor for me. And just I know myself, I know that I am a baseball fan like you. And it was sort of a wake up call to me that like I fell victim to this mob mentality, too, that you find yourself in a lot more often than I do. Um, it's easy, you know, when you are just when you're writing, it's easy to forget that there's a person on the other end of this meme of villainy. And I'm definitely guilty of doing that. This might surprise you or it might not, considering we've talked a little bit and you know sort of how obsessive I am. Uh, in your real sports profile, you described your attachment to collecting baseballs as a sickness. You use the word sickness. Um, and I would say I also definitely have that when it comes to baseball. I, I talked to you a little bit about this. I'm an extremely anxious fan. Uh, we briefly touched base about, you know, how often I attend Yankee games. And I told you, you know, not so much in the last month or so because the team has not been good. And that brings me great agita. Right. So I feel like I've I have, you know, done the, the, the work to look into the way you operate a little bit more lately. Obviously, um, I mean, there wasn't much of an impetus uh, beforehand to, to dive deeper until I realized right. what, what a mistake I had made. But I think you have a compulsion for, for collecting these baseballs. I have a baseball related compulsion where I, you know, I can't stand to watch my team struggling. And, and I have a lot of my emotions tied into baseball in the same way that you do. So I think on that level, you and I are very much, you know, related. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, just to clarify, when I contacted you, it wasn't, it wasn't to get you to apologize. It wasn't to get you to write something positive instead, or, you know, have me on your podcast. I, I, I was just really curious, like, how did we get from point A to point D? Like there, there's some missing steps in between. Um, but yeah, no, I, I definitely, I hear where you're coming from. And by the way, since you mentioned real sports, uh, I never watched that segment about myself. I was wondering that. Uh, and I usually watch TV segments about myself, but I got the sense when they were interviewing me that they were not coming in with a neutral uh, position, basically. It, it, it seemed like they were trying to stir stuff up based on the types of questions they asked and, and just uh, the demeanor of the interviewer and, and and his approach, I could tell that they were trying to get these like aha moments. They were trying to get me to say something controversial. And I heard from friends who saw the segment right away that HBO never mentioned what happened with the baseball from A-Rod's 3000th career hit. I snagged that ball on June 19th, 2015. Definitely the biggest moment for me as a baseball fan. What ended up happening was that I gave A-Rod that baseball during a press conference at Yankee Stadium. And in exchange for that, the Yankees donated $150,000 to my favorite children's baseball charity. And it's not a charity that I work for or have any ownership stake in. It's a charity that I found randomly in 2009. And I've been working with every year just on my own to try to help them to help kids play ball. 
And so the fact that HBO didn't even mention the positive outcome from the biggest moment of my baseball life and the whole purpose of them interviewing me was because of me being a well-known baseball fan. It seemed really, really shitty to me. And I called out the producer on it afterwards, like, hey, what's, what's the deal with not mentioning? Oh, you know, we were really pressed for time and we had to make some tough editorial choices. Bullshit, HBO. They should remove the word real from the name of the show, Real Sports. There's nothing real about it because they were clearly trying to make me more controversial and less likable. And when you have a massive media outlet covering something on a national, if not a global scale, I mean, I'm sure people watch HBO all over the world and they're leaving out the positive part of my story. Of course, it's gonna fire people up in a negative way and they're gonna you know, think less nice things about me. And you know, I don't do, I don't do stuff so that people will like me. I just do stuff, but I would like it to be accurately portrayed and reflected. So this is the kind of battle that I've fought. And so, no, I never watched that segment. I just thought if they're clearly not even trying to tell an accurate story, I don't need to watch it. And I heard from people who were like, oh, it was great. Like, you don't even notice what they left out. And it's like, don't give me that. So, you know, again, when I see negative things written, like what you wrote, it's like, I kind of feel like, HBO is almost at the root of that and other, sorry, there's a fly buzzing in front of my face, got distracted for a second. Uh, It's just like, this is like a cycle that feeds on itself, right? Where certain negative things are said and they get repeated and they get believed or certain important facts are left out. And then other people, if they're doing research, they don't even know that those things really happen. So um, yeah, that's just, that's kind of my situation and what I deal with. And um, Again, you're very nice to, to chat with me and I'm, I'm glad to be able to share these things with you and, and your audience as well. Yeah, rest assured, we don't have the same editorial constraints here. The, the entirety of the interview will be included uh, as recorded, in, in, even the fly uh, that just flew in front of your face. I feel like <laughs> in the interest of being real, we will maintain, we'll maintain that portion as well. But you are right that it is sort of this, um, I, I understand, I feel your pain much more of being in this endless, this news cycle where it does feel like things are feeding off each other. And I am another cog in that machine. You know, I, I am not a person who knew you personally. Uh, we've never interacted. I've never, uh, I've seen you from a distance at sporting events. We've never, you know, spent a day together or anything like that. But when we touched base uh, last week to, to set this whole thing up, you did mention that it might be a good idea or an interesting next step for me to take in a game with you. I would love to do that. And I sort of, one of my questions is I wonder what does that day look like? Sort of, I meet you at the ballpark. What do I see, you know? So I do run a business that I call Watch With Zach, where I take people to games. And I actually have a guarantee that we will get at least one baseball. If somehow we both, or if we all, depending on if it's a big group or not, go home empty-handed, I will either completely refund the client or do another game for free. So baseballs will be snagged. Um, normally when I go to games with people, I'll meet them uh, about an hour before the stadium opens and we film an intro for the YouTube video. Uh, we run inside for batting practice. We catch baseballs. We're interacting with the players. We're running all over the place in a careful, respectful way. We're not knocking kids down or doing anything like that. Um, 
after batting practice, we might go find some food, explore different parts of the stadium, find our seats for the game, maybe, maybe check out the bullpens pregame or try to get a ball from pregame toss-ups down the foul lines. Yeah, then settle into our seats, watch the game. Hopefully it's a cool spot where we not only have a good view, but we have a chance to catch baseballs, whether it's toss-ups or foul balls or home run balls. And then maybe even wander during the game to the extent that a stadium or security will allow it. You know, some places have standing rooms, some places have walkways. Some places, if you have a seat near the dugout, they're cool with you moving to the outfield, almost downgrading your seat. If it's empty, sure, you just go and take a seat, no problem. So I love to move around and, and check out the stadium from different angles. Yankee Stadium is a lot trickier. You know, security is very strict there and it's often very crowded. Uh, so it, it's just like a complete day at the ballpark with a sort of a focus on collecting, but also making a YouTube video at the same time. And people are really into that. Um, I just posted a new video, an 18 minute video that I did with an 18 year old kid in Detroit. It was like his graduation present to go to a game with me. And he went absolutely nuts and snagged a number of foul balls during the game. Very impressive. And just a few days ago, I drove down to Washington, D.C. to do a game with a man in his 40s who is legally blind. Hmm. And that was definitely a new experience for me. It was really cool for him. Snagged a few baseballs for him and kind of gave him a play-by-play -play of what was happening on the field so he could follow along. He normally listens to a radio during games, but since I was there, he let me do the play-by-play -play for him. So there's really no limit and no telling um, how the day is going to end up with people other than it always manages to be pretty cool and pretty fun. Awesome. Well, I mean, that, that is definitely something I'm interested in. I hope that we can set that up at some point. Um, I have caught one foul ball in my entire life. I would say I have not been to as many games as you, nor am I specially trained, but the one, the, the number one looms large, it is quite small. Um, and it was at a minor league game and I do not know who hit it. It was a long time ago in Trenton. Um, after all of this, do you still remember the first ball you ever caught? I suspect that you do very clearly, but I'd love to know. So I do remember it. It was when I was 12 years old back in the 90s at Shea Stadium down the right field foul line, batting practice, and it was tossed up by someone on the Mets, but I don't know who it was. I don't think I ever knew, or if I did, I didn't write it down, and it's just been lost in time but I do remember that moment and it was just so exciting. Like I almost couldn't believe that it happened. You know, catching a baseball is something that happens to other people, to really lucky people. And here I was after years of trying since I was a little kid and I finally got one. So yeah, definitely a special moment. And question for you, the foul ball that you got, you say mm -hmm. you don't know who hit it, but do you remember, was it a righty or a lefty? What side of the stadium you were on? Did you catch it on the fly or pick it up? I remember... It was, I believe it was a righty who poked it. Uh, I was sitting between first and home in foul territory. I believe it was a righty who poked it, but whoever it was hit it off the, I caught it on one rebound. So I caught it off the back wall of the Trenton Stadium, like the stucco directly to me. So no bounces other than a carom. But yeah, I remember that. Well, that's pretty cool. I thought it was pretty cool. You but still have the baseball. I still have the baseball. It's in my, it's in my childhood bedroom. Very cool. So I yeah, could have I mean, done worse. Moments, yeah. What's that? I could have done worse. Like I could be at zero, but I'm, I'm stuck at one. Hey, you are on the board. Now, now you got to put up a crooked number, as they say. <laughs> yeah, they're correct. Um, now, you know, you don't recall who that, that first player was, but 
you have interacted with a number of players over the years. Do you have like, do you favorite current players who sort of roam the outfield and say what's up when they see you? Are, are there guys that are like your guys, quote unquote? To some extent. Yeah. I, I think a lot more players recognize me than I realize. I try to not be recognized by the players because if a player recognizes me, it's probably because they know that I've caught a lot of baseballs, which will probably make them less likely to give me baseballs, even though I give most of my baseballs away at this point, I think a lot of players would probably just know me as like, oh, yeah, it's that guy that has thousands of balls, so I'm not gonna give him one. But there are guys that, uh, I mean, there are current major leaguers who've told me that they love watching my videos. And I'll have guys occasionally hold up a ball and say like, hey, put, put this in the video and they'll chuck one to me, which is fun. The nicest player ever to me was Heath Bell. Hmm three-time all-star closer. He's, you know, for those who don't remember, he took over as the closer for the Padres after Trevor Hoffman no longer had that role. So, I mean, he had some huge shoes to fill and he did it amazingly for a few seasons. Heath was the coolest guy ever. And we've become friends. I mean, we're still in touch and we became friends outside of stadiums. That's pretty rare for me with players, but I definitely have, um, you know, like a, a level of friendliness with a bunch of guys. Mike Trout is actually very cool to me. I caught his first major league home run in Baltimore 10 years ago. And I gave him that baseball after the game. Uh, I caught it in the eighth inning. So I didn't even have that long to sit there and enjoy holding it in my hand. But I gave it to him knowing that like, oh, if I save this ball for 25 years and he's going into the hall of fame, I can get a lot of money for it. I just wasn't really thinking like that. I just, I wanted him to have it. And I told him when I gave it to him, Hey man, remember me. I go to a ton of games. You're going to see me around. And he's like, I got you. I remember you. And I thought, yeah, right. He's not going to remember me, but son of a gun. He really has, despite being the best player on the planet. And he always gives me a friendly hello. And, you know, it's hard to get near him, especially now with COVID and all the protective netting going up. But yeah, whenever he sees me, he'll he'll come over and shake my hand before he goes and starts signing autographs for other people, like pregame down the line. So, um, and he still throws me baseballs, and you know, just a super cool guy. And there's a lot of players I could name like that, but he's definitely the most recognizable name. Yeah, it's hard to pick a better one. Um, in, in sort of on the opposite end of the coin, is there a player who's? I mean, you are an expert at tracking home runs to an extent that like is sort of hard to even fathom like, and for outsiders, I feel like the most incredible part of your journey is that math and the being a master of trajectory and all that good stuff. Is there a player whose home runs you've sort of caught too many of like when you used to pull commons out of a pack of baseball cards, just a guy here, you're like, yeah, okay. Like another like Derek bell. Fine. Like, is there a guy who haunts (laughs) you like that? What's the name? Um, I think I've caught the most game home runs from DD Gregorius including his first career home run, but I'm not going to complain about anything DD related. I love that guy. Mm-hmm. As far as batting practice, I mean, Carlos Beltran has thrown me more baseballs than anyone ever. I think he's thrown me 38 balls over the years and it, it kind of stops being exciting in a way. Like I love adding a new name to my list. I have a list of more than 2000 major league players and coaches who've thrown me baseballs from David Ardsma, who I, I think is first alphabetically all time, to Tony Zick or Zyke, Z-Y-C-H. He was a Mariners reliever a few years ago. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I think he's last alphabetically 
in major league history. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, it's like, Oh, another ball from Carlos Beltran. Like he throws every warm up ball into the crowd, every inning, like every three games, he throws one right to my spot. Like I'm about to get like in a way it, it loses something, but you know, I, I, I always give those balls away anyway, like the, the in-game toss-ups out in the outfield. Aaron Judge throws every warm-up ball. Clint Frazier, you know, all the Yankee right fielders tend to be pretty cool. Um, but no, I mean, I don't, get, I don't get bored of it at all. It's sort of like Derek Jeter winning all those championships, and he's always like, oh, everyone feels just as good. I feel like your first one has to feel the best, but who's to say? I mean, I, I still get so fired up catching a game home run people see me freaking out and they probably think like, is this the first ball that guy ever got? Like, obviously some people recognize me, but other people must think like, dude, calm down. It's only a baseball. So yeah, there's still that, that burning passion, even after decades of going to games. And I've been to more than 1800 games at 60 different major league stadiums. That's six zero. Unbelievable. I mean, and much like, uh, much like Major League Baseball establishment in general, you have singled out Carlos Beltran just as he was the only punished person, uh, ultimately, for uh, Major League Baseball's latest scandal. Uh, you shared a lot of angry thoughts, uh, both when the Astros scandal broke and, and then again when they came to Yankee Stadium. Uh, but in your vlog, uh, you did have a lot of positive interactions with the Astros players from that day. Um, I guess, ha has your stance softened at all, or do you still feel like uh, they have taken something away from the game that you love so much and that I love. Uh, I'm still pissed at them. I think they've taken a lot away and I know that other teams cheat and everybody's looking for an advantage. And now we have the whole scandal of pitchers applying foreign sticky substances on the balls and batters are taking steroids. Even some pitchers use steroids. I mean, it's, it's a mess. You know, the, the history of cheating in baseball goes back to the start of baseball. And there are people who say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And who cares? This is just entertainment anyway. Let everybody cheat. But personally, I hate that. Um, I don't think of myself as an old school curmudgeon, but I am somewhat of a purist. And I wanted to be a major league baseball player. And I was damn good when I was young. I had a tryout at Shea Stadium with the Mets. You know, I like looking back, there was no chance they were going to sign me, but like, you know, I played college ball and I definitely had, you know, some scouts look at me here and there, not in college, but just various summer programs. I went to Bucky Dent's baseball school for a few winter sessions. And like, I, that was my life. That was my dream. And I didn't use steroids and it's like, well, damn, maybe I should have, maybe that would have helped. And it's like, I, I followed the rules down to a T. And so it's a bummer for me to see other players coming along and just not respecting the game really. But I also get it, especially for guys who, you know, maybe are from the Latin countries who grow up in true poverty. And it's like their only chance to escape that is to play baseball. And why wouldn't they just do whatever it takes? Like they don't care about the history of the, of the game. They care about having running water and like not sleeping on a dirt floor. I totally get that. And I don't want to project my position of privilege onto other people, but I still can't help but feel bummed about it when, when guys do cheat, however they do it. So yeah, I'm mad at the Astros and I wish they'd been punished more. And I did a very long entertaining video from May 4th of this season when the Astros played their first game at Yankee stadium in front of fans since this whole thing broke. And there was a lot of anger and animosity coming from the crowd. I mean, you say that no one was really punished in a way. I feel like they are being 
published in, in the court of public opinion, you know, because there are still, you know, bleep Altuve chants every day at Yankee Stadium when the Astros aren't even there. So yeah. that's somewhat of a punishment. Um, but ultimately, I, I just want to experience baseball and capture it as a fan and, and bring the excitement to people who are watching at home. Yeah, the two things that really um, come clear when when I speak to you is that a you really really care like you like the passion has not lessened for the game after all these years. Same with me. Sometimes I feel ridiculous for caring as much as I do, but I can't help it, and neither can you. Um, and the other thing is just you you know as the years go by, you have more and more stories about balls that you have given away, whether it's that a rod ball on a large scale at a public event, semi-public at least, or whether it's just, you know, people tagging along for the ride and you're making sure they get baseballs or you get a toss up from Carlos Beltran for the 35th time and you look for somebody else to hand that off to. I feel like the, the common thing that you're combating is people saying, you know, doesn't he have a million balls? Why does he need more? And I do feel like you learn, um, you know, by speaking to you that a you're obsessive and, you know, you, you want to keep adding to your collection and, and changing the complexion of your collection, but that B, you are working to help plenty of others, you know, come home and take home the souvenir too. Is, is that accurate and fair? Yeah. I mean, I, I just, I want to have the most positive impact on the baseball world as possible. And yeah, you know, when I was a kid, I did not give away any of my baseballs. I actually took pride in owning every baseball that I caught. Uh, and I, I felt like it was essential to have a complete collection. Like I've caught this many balls and I own this many balls. But now while I'm still certainly drawn to the numbers, like it's, it's kind of hard to be a baseball fan and not appreciate stats in some way. And I can tell you that just in my own life, even aside from baseball, I love to quantify things and I can be very competitive and I don't play fantasy baseball, but my whole baseball collection is almost like my own version of fantasy baseball. So yeah, I'm drawn to the numbers and the lifetime number of balls and home runs or foul balls or stadiums that I've been to or average balls per game. I'm kind of like my own Elias Sports Bureau. And I love seeing those numbers accumulate. But if I catch a ball and give it away, I still count it. And once I realized many years ago that I could do that, it took all this pressure off. And it's like, I can still have the fun of catching the balls. You know, now I can still do the videos and have these nice action shots in them, but also give the balls away. So yeah, I'm, I'm all about that. And not, it's not just about like, I catch one ball and hand a ball to one person, but my videos have truly helped so many people out there catch balls for themselves and even beyond catching of the balls, just enjoy baseball more and connect to it more because people, a lot of people have met me in person and they tell me like, man, I started watching your videos. I was going to a game in Kansas city and I, you know, I looked up the stadium to try to find like the best place to sit. And I found your video on it. And I was like, all right, like, who's this weirdo? And then I got hooked and I couldn't stop watching. Like a lot of people find me that way. And so my videos serve as somewhat of a guide for people almost, even what to eat, you know, where to sit, how to really maximize your time at the ballpark. So I think that's, that's what I enjoy the most. I, I think of myself somewhat as a storyteller and I love documenting things and really just sharing my experience. And if it can entertain and help people at the same time, then I'm all about it. 
Zach, thank you so much, A, for getting in touch, B, for giving me a chance to talk to you about this, and C, for calling me articulate, which is an extremely nice compliment, and I, I will hip pocket that. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say before I let you go? Uh, I guess I would just say that um, on average, I would say probably 100 people per day approach me at uh, the average major league game. Sometimes it's a lot more sometimes not as much, but I mean, it, it's like a constant stream of people coming up to me. I would say that 99.9% .9 of those interactions are positive. Uh, you know, I, I could easily meet 10,000 people over the course of a season in a hundred games. And there's really like a single digit number of people who will say something rude. And it's usually from the right field bleachers at Yankee stadium. But the, the point is that it's overwhelmingly positive. And for people who've never seen me in person, it's easy to go online and, and see the negative stuff and think that I'm this awful guy and I'm knocking kids down and stealing baseballs. But that is absolutely far from the truth. And I, I welcome and encourage everybody to check out my videos. You can see what I'm all about there and look for me at games. And if you see me, come say hello. And you'll see that it's, it's really a positive thing and it's a positive hobby. I admit that I'm ultra nerdy about it and over the top, but I always do it in a respectful way and nobody gets hurt. And uh, I just try to be generous and spread the love. So that's what I'm all about. Awesome. Zach, thanks so much for coming together with me on this. And hopefully we can catch a game together soon. I would love to. That was something. Not what I expected when I received that DM, but I was very happy to encounter the person I did encounter. And I look forward to taking in a game with Zach soon. If he can guarantee me a Carlos Beltran ball, I'll be really impressed. That guy doesn't play baseball anymore. That's it until next Thursday. Be better to each other and do your research. See ya.